This is the MG Car Club Podcast with Wayne Scott and Adam Sloman. On this week's podcast, we discuss the exciting new MG sports car prototype revealed this month, and we go over to the USA to bring you the story of Tom Wilson, an MG collector who is restoring a whole selection of MGs all at the same time. The MG Car Club Podcast. Hiya, Adam. How you doing? I'm good, thanks, mate. And I'd like to say hello on behalf of Mr. Zanussi once again. We're getting to know Mr. Zanussi quite well over these last few weeks. <laughs> We're joined also this week by uh, Mr. Becco, who is a combination fridge-freezer. So uh, the gang's all here. We can start the show. Excellent. I hope it's full with plenty of beers and supplies for the podcast ahead. <laughs> Absolutely. I think I'm here for the long haul. Well, this is, of course, the MG Car Club podcast, uniting MG fans around the world. And when I say around the world, I really do mean it. And loads of you listening in in all sorts of different parts of the world. And we're going to give a couple of shout outs, really. That's what they do. Shout outs. We have a couple of shout outs uh, to some of our listeners who have written in and left comments on the podcast page at mgpodcast.uk, diving in to say uh, hello to Robert Rushing, who's listening to us in St. Louis, Missouri, and also to uh, Ben Gearing, who sent us a message to say that he he wanted to extend a thank you uh, to the MG Car Club for doing the podcast. It's the highlight of his week. He's located in Melbourne, Australia, and he's a member of the MG Car Club Victoria, and he owns a 1997 MGF VVC, and he says it's very much a project, and it's his entry into MG ownership, and uh, he's... He says here that uh, he spent many years working and modifying BMC and MG Rovers in a previous job, so he has a massive soft spot for the mark. Cheers again, guys. Looking forward to next week's episode. That's Ben Gearing in Melbourne in Australia. Across the world, Adam. That's brilliant. I mean, I just think it's really good that, you know, two fairly daft blokes like me and you can sit here and talk about mgs for for an hour half an hour once a week and we can you know put a bit of a smile on someone's face and and have a bit of fun and yeah at the moment with the world we're living in that's um that's a really valuable commodity i think absolutely we like to keep it uplifting and positive and happy on the mg car club podcast there's enough bad stuff in the world at the minute we don't need any of that on here thanks very much we just want to talk about cars really because that's what we do and that's probably what you like to do sat in your sheds or in your cars or on the sofa at home wherever you're listening to us and wherever you are listening to us please do get in touch mgpodcast.uk is the website to go to on there you can find a contact page where you can leave us a message either on the comments box underneath this episode or by using the contact form or uh, the new feature that we introduced to you a couple of weeks ago which is our voice messaging system where you can leave us a voice message and we can get you on the show because we like to hear you it's better than just reading out your messages we like to hear them don't we adam exactly Uh, so do that mgpodcast.uk and if you want to join the mg car club really easy to do that from the website as well just click the join the club button and you can be a part of the fantastic worldwide community that is the mg car club now (sighs) have to take a breath here because the excitement that we have had in the build-up to this podcast has been incredible because 
something very special happened. You will have seen it if you follow us on social media, Twitter and Facebook. You would definitely have seen it if you keep up to date with the news on the MG Car Club website at mgcc.co.uk. There was a new MG concept car unveiled and it's called the Cyberster. Yes, it sounds mean, it looks even meaner and the first images of the next concept mg sports car were revealed from the guys in china it's been dubbed as i say the cyberster concept and uh, it's quite a lot different isn't it adam from this mg emotion that we were discussing just a couple of weeks ago on the podcast that you saw back in 2017 yeah, it's very different. I mean, the Emotion was really more of a, a Grand Tourer with a 2 plus 2 design. Um, I've always been told that uh, traditionally in China, two-seater cars were sort of considered um, sort of socially uh, unacceptable, really, because you only had room for two people. And that's why um, MG sort of, the, the management of MG struggled to get to grips with the idea of a two-seater sports car. Um, that combined with the fact that when they launched the TF in China, it didn't really sell in, in meaningful numbers. So they've been wary of, of a two-seater sports car, but now we see the, the Cyberster, um, which is a combination of work from both the design teams in London and Shanghai. Um, and it's, it's really exciting. I can't wait to hear more about this car. And not to brag, but let's blow our own trumpet for a minute you did predict that we thought the car would be smaller than that original e-motion concept and we thought it would be all electric and both of those have proved to be correct yeah this looks to be more of a sort of tf sized sports car more in the vein of traditional mg cars unlike the e-motion which was that bit bigger i've seen some conversation on online about people saying well they were expecting to get e-motion in in either 2020 or 2021 but there's a lot of things on e-motion that i think make it clear that it was probably only ever going to be a concept car i mean those gorgeous butterfly doors was such a standout feature but can you imagine the the production expense to build a car with a feature like that it's just just crazy i mean there's a reason that that lamborghinis cost so much money with their with their big doors um yeah it's it's um it, this cyberster feels like a much more realistic production um possibility than, than the emotion of it did so yeah it's gonna be really exciting to see what comes over the next few weeks and months i think we'll see something um more realistic than than simple renders um obviously these are just computer renderings they hide a lot of the detail of the car but i think we're going to see more details come over the next weeks and months well daniel gregorius we spoke to him on the podcast just a couple of weeks ago and he teased us then about the prospect of mg returning to sports cars and also in his press release that uh, was released on announcement of the mg5 estate car he also teased us there saying that you know if people went out and bought that mg5 estate car that that would give them the backing they needed to go forward with a sports car concept and here's another teaser so it's just looking more and more likely by the day really isn't it it is it is and like we've always said you know they've got to sell the, the sort of more bread and butter cars in volume in order to give them that business case to produce a halo car like the like the Cyberster or whatever they end up calling it. So no, it's it's really exciting. I'm just thrilled to see new stuff coming from MG. Um, and new stuff coming in lots of different forms, be it, you know, be it the SUVs that have proven really popular and given MG that foothold they need here in the UK and globally, um, or be it, you know, something exciting like a sports car. 
So, uh, yeah, I need to start uh, saving the pennies and convincing Sarah that uh, a two-seater sports car is a practical car when we've got uh, two kids and a dog. It's exciting because what they really needed, they've got that fantastic range now. The MG3 was the small car that satisfied that need brilliantly. The MG6, the sort of mid-range saloon, if you like. They've got the uh, ZSEV, which is their electric SUV. They've got all of those things now covered with the estate MG5 that we spoke about a couple weeks ago what they really need is that halo car that aspirational brand building car that everyone really sort of lusts after if you like they've got the cars that get the job done and that sell in vast numbers they needed a car that people really lust after and this is this this has got everything for me and i I, you know i start getting all carried away when i start looking at it and i think of some of the concept cars of the past as well and then then I was starting to think about motorsport, okay, and I don't know. I know it's a bit of a coincidence, all of this, but in 2021, for those of you who like your motorsport, uh, the regulations of the World Endurance Championship run by the FIA and the ACO, so the cars that race at Le Mans, the regulations there are changing so that we won't see those Le Mans prototypes, LMP1, LMP2, and the GT cars split in the same way. They're introducing what they call the new hypercars. And this has got hypercar written all over it to me. Now, I know it's going to be, we think it's going to be a full electric car, this, and there isn't a class for electric cars in the WEC. I I get all of that, but am I allowed to dream just for a minute that that's a possibility? (laughs) Of course, of course. And I mean, the other thing when it comes to motorsport is that the management of MG at the very top are, are really investing in motorsport now on a global level so although you know a lot of fans here in the uk lament the the lack of of mg in the british touring car championship it shouldn't be forgotten that mg have invested a lot in getting the current generation mg6 into both the world tcr um, and the uh, chinese touring cars you know we saw the mg6 at the motorsport games last year with rory butcher driving it for for great britain they've taken the zs um, and entered that in the Chinese Rallycross um, Championship where it did very very well Um, and that's another you know potential outlet for that car Um, and you know they brought X-Power back um, after that brand being dormant for so long the 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 sub-brand that was so popular with MG fans around the turn of the millennium it's a bit like those days when you had you know um, MG with working with Lola to go and 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 compete at Le Mans you had the the ZR in the Junior World Rally Championship and you had the ZS in the British Touring Car Championship and of course you would have had the ZT and DTM had MG Rover been able to get the funding together so wouldn't it be amazing if we could see you know the ZS doing World Rally Championship and World Rally Cross Championship the MG6 doing World Touring Cars or TCR and then this car doing you know something like imagine they were to create an electric World Endurance Championship and MG were in that that would be amazing I get all excited about the prospect of MG returning to being a sporting brand whenever a concept car comes out you've got to sort of draw parallels the things that you think it reminds you of Do you know, actually, the biggest parallel I think I can draw between this concept and anything else in the past, there's a bit of MG X Power SV about it, but what it really reminds me of is going back to 1985 and the MG EXE. 
Now you're talking. It's got that kind of feel about it, don't you think? Yeah. If you're you're not familiar with the MG EXE, it was launched in 1985, around about the same time that the uh, 6R4 was launched, of course, as well. And it was designed to share the same V6 engine as the MG Metro 6R4. And it was kind of, I don't know, best way of looking at it is a kind of early XJ220 stroke McLaren F1 kind of lookalike. It was designed by Gordon Sked, who was the director of external design under the direction of Roy Axe. And it was the first time we saw the rear lights that would eventually some 10 years later end up on the MGF and it had a cockpit that was designed around a cross between a Group C Le Mans racing car at the time and a kind of fighter pilot's cockpit I think it was really and uh, it was supposed to be four-wheel drive and a real proper supercar Um, and it was the real moment in the mid-80s when MG kind of went a little bit crazy and re-established the brand as um, something with potential for the future. It was another 10 years, of course, until we eventually saw that MGF come along. But uh, the EXE, particularly exciting when it, was ca- when it came out in 1985 and a real moment in MG's history that is uh, really, on the whole, long forgotten, I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and if you look at what MG were producing at the time, you know, people, the traditionalists, um, would would have looked at Metro Maestro Montego and said, no, nah, that's not a proper MG. In the way that some people turn their nose up, mistakenly, in my opinion, turn their nose up at the current range of MG and say, no, nah, they're not real MGs. Um, whereas EXE was a, was a real slap in the face to say, no, no, we know this is a sporting brand. We know that sports cars are in our DNA. This is what we could do, um, and Emotion did, did did the same thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, I thought, I mean, when I was a kid, EXE, my dad was was obsessed with MG, as I think I've said on the on the podcast before. Um, and we had you know, we had the dealer posters, we had all sorts of stuff lying around the house of EXE, and that car was was a signpost towards the future of what MG could be. Um, and this does the same sort of thing. The other car that EXE reminds me a little bit of is the uh, Honda NSX. Definitely, yes. You've nailed it. Absolutely was. It's that 80s design language. Yeah, fantastic bit of kit. And uh, the EXE is actually at the British Motor Museum. So once all this lockdown nonsense is over and you're able to go out again, if you do find yourself at uh, Gaiden at the British Motor Museum, it's well worth having a look at because it's a very cool piece of kit in the flesh as well. Definitely. There's all sorts of weird and wonderful uh, cars in there. It's like Frankenstein's laboratory in there, isn't it? There's bits, <laughs> yeah. bits of cars grafted onto each other and all sorts of stuff. But uh, yeah, there's a many happy now I've had digging around at the British Motor Museum at Gaydon in Warwickshire. And uh, Adam, we've got some new merchandise to talk about. There's some exciting stuff and I'm, I'm unfurling a T-shirt here that says on it, five things I like almost as much as driving my mg and the list is looking at my mg talking about my mg watching television programs that feature people driving mgs websites about mgs they're missing podcasts about mgs on this t-shirt here and uh, the most important thing number five is cheese that's excellent so uh, <laughs> brilliant t-shirt who doesn't like cheese so uh, this is a t-shirt that uh, is now in stock uh, in the club shop at mgcc.co.uk just click on the shop link there and search for fun t-shirt in the shop there and you'll find it and uh, just 25 quid 
I like it. Five things I like. MG t-shirt. I'm going to wear mine for the rest of the week. <laughs> Good man. Of course, the other thing that's um, available now that we've spoken about previously is the small version of the 90th anniversary grill badge. So um, we've been able to get enough interest uh, to, to go ahead and order those. Now, the important thing here is that only 100 are actually going to be produced. So if you do want one, you're going to have to be quick because there will only be 100 of them made. So if you've got one of the cars with the smaller front grille, the FTF Z cars from the from the early 2000s, um, you will want one of these smaller grille badges. And they do look really, really smart. And still selling the top trumps cards as well, I notice. If you're bored in the lockdown. Yeah, lockdown with the kids. I've been playing, I mean, I've been playing all sorts of board games with the kids, um, as well as teaching and trying to work full time and do the dishes and the laundry and the cooking and the cleaning because my wife's got a proper job. She's a nurse. Um, We've been playing a lot of board games and we've been getting serious use out of the top trumps. So much so now that, um, yeah, I've ruined my kids. They know far too much about MG. Well, you can never know too much about MG, but if you want to know more, you can stick with us here on the MG Car Club podcast. Don't forget, of course, if you want to receive new episodes automatically, you can do that really easily, particularly useful if you like to listen to us on your mobile phone. Uh, On the website at mgpodcast.uk, you can see all the button links up there for iTunes, for Spotify, and for all the others. Uh, Pick your poison, really. Choose which one you want to use, and that will make sure that you get new episodes automatically every Friday when this podcast comes out. The MG Car Club Podcast. The MG Car Club, the mark of friendship. To take advantage of our many membership benefits, access to our centres and registers, and to receive your copy of Safety Fast magazine, join us now at mgcc.go.uk. Memories from Kimber House with Adam Sloman. 2020 marks the 30th anniversary of the opening of Kimber House. In 1989, the houses at 11 and 12 Cemetery Road became available. With their close proximity to the original factory site, they were deemed the perfect location for the club to establish a permanent home in Abingdon, having left the town in 1969 when British Leyland opted to no longer support the club. MGCC members raised over £100,000 to purchase the building, and in the summer of 1990, the MG Car Club finally came home. Since then, the building has been improved even further, Around the turn of the millennium, the two houses were knocked into one, before the addition of the John Thornley Suite in 2010, and the Bill Wallace Wing, home to the club's library and archive facility, opened in 2016. Sharing your passion for MG on the MG Car Club podcast. Over to the USA now, and Tom Wilson joins us to give us a tour of his incredible MG collection and to tell us about his epic multi-car restoration project. Hiya Tom, how's life in lockdown in the States at the moment? I miss uh, eating in restaurants. Yes. (laughs) And some things have slowed down, but uh, most of my work and projects are here at home. So, uh, you know, I don't have to avoid going out because I'm I'm all set here. Am I right in understanding that you've got 12 Triple M cars in your collection at the minute? Well, I have 11 in a, in a VA saloon, so you're close. Right. Those, uh, those cars all came to me in close to one package. Um, a, uh, a good friend of mine said, Tom, Tom, you need to look at these, uh, this package of Triple M's. Uh, Digby, I'm... I'm not a triple M guy. I'm a TC guy. And he talked me into it. 
And after Silverstone, I went down and visited the guy and looked at him. And yeah, there's a package there and we could make a deal. And it took about a year to get a deal put together. He'd been collecting all his life and retired, planned on restoring them and discovered that a garden shed just doesn't do the job. He decided he was going to sell everything but one and keep one. And so I bought him lock, stock, and barrel. We packed them all up and brought them back here to the States. And uh, they're in the process of restoration as one large project. And why MG for you, Tom? What was, where does this passion for the cars stem from? Is it something that you've had all your life? Uh, pretty much. Uh, I, at the end of high school, I had an audition for the School of Music at Indiana University went down one fall for my uh, my audition and a beautiful fall afternoon and my girlfriend went with me and the campus was all beautiful and decorated for, for a homecoming. And sitting outside the auditorium was a ratty old green TC and my heart just went pitter pat. Fell in love with it and it's been that way ever since. I blew the audition, became an accountant instead of a musician, which was smart. Uh, It took me um, about 15 or 16 years before I was in a place in life to get an MG, but I still have the same girlfriend. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) She stuck with you through MG thick and thin. (laughs) Yep, yep, she sure did. She sure did. What is it about MG from that particular era for you? Really, really, it's the TC that uh, that makes my heart go. And, um, you know, I, I always saw MG as the working man sports car. And and that, that kind of fit in, in the nature of how I am in my life. And uh, I think the TC is a car in the classic sports car um era that got the lines just right. I mean, it's just about as perfect as it could be. It's, it's a very pretty car, rides like a donkey cart. You fold the windscreen down and eat bugs on a nice drive. Uh, not particularly comfortable, not particularly large, but it's fun and it's pretty and it's enjoyable. I've liked what MG did during the ensuing years to bring out different models given the restrictions they had from their parent company and the lack of finances. Uh, but they always made a good car. And uh, it, really, it really brought uh, sporting cars to the United States, as everyone knows. Well, of course, that you have a lot more of them over there than we have here. Um, and it was the moment, the pivotal moment, really, for MG, in that they were taken after the Second World War back by servicemen that had been serving in Europe and England in particular uh, during World War Two. that uh, discovered these MGs as a, as you say, a working man's sporting brand, a sports car that most people could kind of afford on the second-hand market. And they took them back in, in droves. And then, of course, as we know, in the... 1950s 1960s that sports car heyday really um the america was an absolutely huge market and crucial market for the survival of mg you always aware of mg um the more modern cars as you were growing up the cars that were still coming out of showrooms or was it always the older stuff that appealed to you more oh yes i've i always saw mgbs you know that was really the era for me growing up as a kid and through high school 
in college, and uh, I always pined for for an MGB. You know, um, I wanted a TC more, but that was illogical and out of my budget. Uh, and I worked in a sports car shop when I was in at university for a while, so we had a lot of cars coming in and out, and I I came to to know and love them. And uh, so, yeah, yeah, and you're correct that uh, the United States market was really crucial for MG and their survival and growth. And it wasn't until really 1947 where MG started to import with in any amount into the United States. It took, took a couple of years to get the network in place to figure out how are we going to sell, service, and support cars in the United States. And the TC really lit the fire. The TD became super popular, and the MGA really, really brought the market to high volume. When MG went back to racing in '55 uh, at Le Mans, you know they took four cars and they built the cars. And a, a really dear friend of mine, Jimmy Cox, who's who was working at MG at the time, he started at MG in 1945 when he was 14 years old as a T boy. But he was involved in the building of those race cars, and then uh, the four of the mechanics actually drove the cars to Le Mans, where they raced them, and then uh, two of them drove back. One was crashed, and another one came back in the lorry. A different, a different era of racing. Absolutely, absolutely. And they were very popular cars, especially the MGAs in the Sports Car Club of America races uh, throughout the 50s. Well, actually, into the 70s, they were still being raced, even though they were sort of 20 years behind some of the newer cars on the grid. You would still see these cars cropping up, wouldn't you? You still see a significant amount of MGAs and MGBs racing here in the SCCA circuit. You know, there's classes specifically for them. So, you know, even even now that they're old, old vintage, they're very popular and very successful racing. Well, uh, we owe a lot of that history, of course, to Ken Miles. And uh, if you're a fan of the Ford versus Ferrari oh, film or the uh, Le Mans 66 film, as it's called here in the UK, then uh, Ken Miles gets a very good thumbs up in that film. So if you haven't seen it and you're listening he, to this, it's worth a look. He was, and, and, he, and Ken was instrumental in MG's marketing here in the United States in the Times. And he was the one who really pushed for the TF-1500, the larger engine, in the late version of the TF saying, you know, if we if we make this engine bigger, this car can survive another year or two in the market. Let's have a look round your collection then, Tom. Um, walk us virtually, take us by the hand and, and walk us through your collection of 12 amazing cars. Uh, tell us a little bit about each one and, and why you own them and what is different about each one that you need to have so many because I'm sure they're all like your children, aren't they? <laughs> Well, uh, there's two formulas in how many bicycles or cars you should have. There's N plus one and S minus one, where N equals the number of cars you currently have, and S is the maximum number of cars you can have before your spouse throws you out. And so you have to have that balance there. But, um, you know, I'd always planned on just having one, but um, when we built our house, we built a three-car garage to purposely limit my ability to collect, and that didn't work. But I, I had my nice TC, a uh, very early TC, actually the 21st one built in September 45, and nicely restored. And then I found a consecutive chassis number, the next one, chassis 273, 
underneath a house in storage in Sedalia, Missouri. And I thought it'd be really cool to have consecutive chassis numbers. So over a course of a year, I acquired that car and then under, undertook a restoration of that. And uh, that's my blue TC that everybody likes so much that gets driven quite a bit. A nice show winner that gets flogged. And um, then uh, Digby, my friend in England, had chassis 279. I acquired that. And that restoration's happening right now. So those are my three TCs. Meanwhile, um, the collection of 11 came up in England. And I had retired from full-time working and wanted a, uh, a large-scale project. And I thought it would be really cool to restore 11 triple M's all at once as one project rather than one at a time. So with, within that collect, and when I bought them, everything but one was totally disassembled. And it was, uh, the descriptions of them, they, all the, they were all but complete. Virtually everything was there, just needs to be repaired and assembled. Well, that's everybody's dream, and that's not how it turned out. But within that collection is an L1, a 1932 L1, there's four J2s, there's four PAs, and two PBs. And currently, they're all in my workshop, which I call the studio. And it's a room that I built underneath my garage and driveway for my, my workspace. Completely disassembled, on shelves. All the parts are sorted by category. You know, all the rear axles are in one place, front axles in another place, so on and so forth. And that project is going through a um, restoration component at a time. So all the chassis have been cleaned and straightened and repaired. They're ready for painting. And so the chassis are virtually done. And the front axles are in process right now. So we'll do 11 front axles, put them on the shelf. 11 rear axles, put them on the shelf. Uh, 11 engines, gearboxes, put them on the shelf. And when all the components are done, then we'll assemble the cars. So that's the process going through. Effectively, you're building your own production line here for the for these cars, aren't you? Uh, essentially, yes. Yeah. And and there's a, a a lot of complexity, but but simplicity about it. And I really enjoy doing uh, doing projects like that. And it, it's a it's a large large undertaking, but it's not not outside the realm of my ability. It's just ma- making sure I have enough time to do it. <laughs> Once I finish the two TCs that are underway, and I hope they, uh, they're they done at the end of this year, I expect it'll be a five-year window to finish all 11 triple M's. Meanwhile, uh, at Silverstone, oh, several years ago, well, I guess it was even before that, when the Chinese were over taping at Kimber House, I was there uh, on a February and Ed Braslick pulls up with uh, the prototype of the LE50, the modern MGB they did to celebrate the 50-year anniversary, which was really neat. And I got to talking to him, and I got to drive the car a couple times over the next uh, year or two. And we were looking for a more comfortable MG to do distance traveling in, and I ended up buying one of the LE50s from Frontline. I had always wanted a BGT, and so that uh, that filled out that niche of of my hankering, and it's a, a BGT is a wonderful car to tour in, and this has some modern amenities, and but still has the coarseness of a '60s GT. 
And so I very much enjoy that. The uh, it's a 140 mile an hour BGT, although you can't drive 140. <laughs> but the fast the faster you go, the tighter it sticks to the road. It's really really an amazing, comfortable car. It was good for my my days when I was doing track days, and it was a Porsche beater on the track. Amazing. <laughs> uh, they are Hourly. works of art, aren't they, really, that uh, they've achieved there. And uh, it just goes to show the appeal of that 60s style and design that there is such a calling for cars that have just got, as you say, modern amenities, I think is a very good way of putting it, that just yes. makes them just a little bit easier to live with on long distances. And, um, I mean, our long distances in the UK are totally different to your idea of long distances in the States. You know, you're, <laughs> you're talking thousands of miles here, you know. What do you think about those modern mgs that we see now do you feel they're still part of that brand or or do you somehow feel separated from them when you look at them i very much feel like they're part of the brand just by the name that's on them it's an mg and you know and we're brand loyal and brand driven today's world is a different market while the look of our vintage mgs is much more appealing you know cars are generally visually boring today relative to what they used to look like. We've got a whole different world of requirements, both from a regulation and from a a usability standpoint. So cars have to be different today. And if you're going to bring a brand back into the world, um, as MG Motor and Sake have done, you've got to bring a product to the market that they will buy. And I think they've done a, a credible job so far. Now, my understanding is MGs don't sell in uh, scads and scads in huge amounts. In the UK, it's another brand. But in, in China, it's a storied, historic uh, British motor car, sporting car, and they can't make them fast enough for that market. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and the same thing in India. I think the strategy is good. I like seeing the brand kept alive, and I think there's there's a place for it, not only uh not only in Asia, but in the UK and in the United States in the long run. Well, there are parallels to the history, and we mentioned it a few moments ago. In the 1950s, there were a lot more MGs in America. There were a heck of a lot more MGs sold to America than there were ever in the UK. And in many ways, China is just the new America in automotive terms. So if they can make it a success there, naturally that should filter around the rest of the globe eventually. I agree. I agree. That's that's a very good analogy. And I and I believe there's a good market here once they choose to come to the market. Back to your lovely production line. And I know that listening to this, many people will have not only garage envy, but envy of the fact that you're managing to turn out so many cars. Anyone who's ever restored a car knows how much goes into it and how long they can be. So to do that many all in one in one go is uh, quite a, a feat of engineering really what is the biggest challenge that you're coming up against in restoring these cars at the moment is it part supply or are there particular bits of the design that are tricky to renovate what are you finding is the biggest challenge so far well once i decided to carve out time in my life to do it uh i think you could probably boil it down to to two items and it relates to probably all vintage car restorations the first would be to find skilled and willing tradesmen to do the work that you, that you can't do yourself whether you know whether it's a machine shop for engine work or a body man to do uh, body panels and painting and things 
Um, it's a different, a little bit different world working on old cars than new cars, and those guys are fewer and fewer to find. So you have to search and you have to find, find them. Then you have to be patient and willing to spend the money it takes to get it done, and that that's painful. The second thing, and uh, and more importantly to me, is uh, the vision within the project, um, the ability to to visualize what it's going to be like at the end what the process is and how you keep everything moving along in the right way. You know, there's lead times on, on many parts. You know, if I have to have crankshafts made, think I'm going to have crankshafts made for 11, 11 engines for my triple M's. Well, if I need those crankshafts in October, that means probably 18 months before I need to be working with the vendor to get those crankshafts made. So you have to juggle the timeline all the time and make sure that you're you're sequencing things right. And then as a friend who's just finishing a a, a late M-type midget from the early 1930s, uh, Mike, who's done an extraordinary job, he says, I make sure I go out in the garage and, and work at least an hour every day on it. Okay, you got to take that bite of an elephant every day. <laughs> I've got visions of you now with spreadsheets, endless spreadsheets of project management to keep all of these things on track. How do you keep track of it all? Well, um, the shelves are very well organized, <laughs> Good. and I know everything well. And then I've got a I've got a, a three ring notebook with with sections and pages and. Uh, I find it pretty much easier to to try to put things on paper so I can sit and look at them, and uh, and then uh, it just ties into a schedule. There, you block out your time, and and then try to keep the schedule, which is the hard thing. It's amazing to sit here and talk to someone who is so many thousands of miles away as you are, Tom, from us here in the UK, five hours behind on time. Yet the same passion that we all have for MGs is just you know it's it's really apparent and it is really a, a, when you're restoring these cars and when you finally get them out on the road and you go out and then you enjoy them and you go through all that project management pain that you've been through to achieve that it is such an amazing worldwide family to be a part of and that's what makes it special isn't it it's more than just cars it it, re- it really is i think the nicest people I found many nice people in the MG community, but when I go to the UK, especially around the MG Car Club, I find such nice, willing people. Some of my best friends have come through those trips and those relationships and communications. And uh, it, it, it's really good people around good cars with a common interest. What are your future ambitions then, Tom, for the collection? What's not in there that you'd really like to add? Well, I've, I've told more than one person, if someone would come and give me most of what I've got in the triple M's financially, I'd go buy a, a vintage, uh, an 1880 Mark II, and I would be done. <laughs> that's, that's really the only other MG that uh, I pine for. But at some point, you have to say no more. The other, the, I guess the other one I would do in a heartbeat is the very first TC, the prototype. I know where it is, and if it were to become available, uh, I would buy that in a heartbeat. And I would coordinate a restoration of it so it looked just like the pictures that were taken of it in July 1945 with, with a bald spare tire and 
and mismatched tires and hand painting, and it was a bit worn. And we'd make it just the way it was in the pictures. <laughs> and then it would become a, uh, a center. We'd donate it to the car club, and they'd love to have it, but say, where are we going to put it? That would be an amazing piece of history to preserve for future generations. And um, that's also what we've been talking a lot about on the podcast over the last few episodes, is future generations and, and getting the young people of now interested so that these cars have a future and that the heritage is preserved generations from now. And um, that's a challenge, isn't it? We've got to inspire others to love them as much as we do. It, it is, and I think it's that way with most hobbies. And there's always an ebb and flow. Uh, but I think MGs are always, and old MGs, are always going to be in the market and be loved and used. And so while we need to pay attention to it, I think it will happen. With people like you around, Tom, making sure that cars are restored for the future, I'm sure it will, and they're in safe hands, that's for sure. It's been fascinating talking to you on the MG Car Club podcast, and uh, thank you so much for coming on and telling us about your amazing collection and uh, your memories of MG over the years. And uh, I'd best let you get on now, because uh, your project management will be slipping behind if I don't let you go. <laughs> <laughs> I have it. I'm working on TC tubs today. <laughs> Thanks for talking with me, Wayne, and uh, just stay safety fast. The MG Car Club Podcast. Safety Fast, the magazine of the MG Car Club. Get your copy now by joining us at mgcc.co.uk. A quick update now on our virtual MG show, still running at photos.mgcarclub.co.uk. And I think we've got something like over 350 entries now. It's going really well. And a vast spectrum of MGs covered from all sorts of different eras. We've got pre-war cars on there. Thank you to all of those with the Zs that have come out in force to start uploading pictures because we're a bit short on them. I still don't think we've got a maestro, though. I think we're maestro-less at the moment. So if you're listening to this and you've got a good picture of your maestro, get that up there. And uh, we're going global with it as well, aren't we, Adam? We've decided to go sort of worldwide with our photo contest and invite pictures in from, well, across the world. Well, exactly. I mean, the podcast is, is aiming to unite MG owners all around the world. So we want our photo competition to do the same. And it all started with a conversation with Alan Fabry from the MG Car Club Victoria in Australia. And Alan said, you know, what can we do to get involved? And I said, well, we'd love to have you. So, yeah, we're working with um, we're working with Alan at the moment and other um, we've looked to extend that offer to other Australian clubs and to American clubs, MG Car Club India any of you guys out there that want to get involved drop us an email get in touch with the podcast let us know you want to get involved in the photo competition and we'll we'll get you sorted brilliant stuff and also for mg car club members the may issue of safety fast should be on your doormats by now we mentioned this in the podcast before basically what we're doing is throughout this year reliving various different magazine cover styles that the club has seen over its 90 year history in the 90th anniversary year of the club what year are we on now? So we've arrived in the late 70s, I believe. Late yeah. 70s, early 80s. Very good. Um, so, uh, yeah, so um, we've uh, we've got a, a gorgeous uh, MG 1300 on the front cover this month. There's some really good features in this month's issue. The, the standout for me is the second part of Project Jiffy, which is our MG midget project that uh, we've started restoring 
progress has been a little bit slower because of the because of the virus but we've got a really nice little story that's, that's bubbling away with our restoration project so um so yeah it should be a good read for everyone brilliant and when we're allowed out of lockdown the plan is that you and i are going to do some video podcasts with jiffy aren't we we're going to actually get involved with this car and show you how it's been built yeah we want everyone to see the car and everyone to feel involved in the car because it is a really cool story it's a one owner car from new the car's been donated to the mg car club because roger the owner um started to restore it a couple of years ago but personal circumstances and essentially life has got in the way for roger he got in touch with me late last year and said did i know anyone who would be willing to take on the car and restore it i said that i thought the club probably would be interested in doing it and he was only too happy to give it to us so i went down to uh, to see roger met his wife um had a lovely fish and chip lunch with them they were so sweet and the car um jiffy um as roger christened it is such a sweet little car and it'll be a lovely story to follow um both online on the podcast and in print and some superb craftsmanship going into the restoration of this car you and i spent a very happy morning over at british motor heritage over in oxford and saw them building some of the panels that we're going to need to replace some of those that are well they've been bitten by the horrible tin worm haven't they and in some places the car's in quite bad condition but uh, we're going to do as much as we can to keep the original shell intact but british motor heritage making some incredible panels that we'll need for the restoration yeah the craftsmen over at bmh are just amazing those skills they've got to be able to use that that original tooling that came from from press steel is is phenomenal you know that's it's in danger of being a lost art so it was really interesting to go over and just just you could spend hours one around um the the factory in whitney just watching and looking and seeing what they do and how they do it it's incredible so when lockdown is lifted keep your eye out for more content on jiffy the midget and uh, our video podcast that we'll be filming for you uh, in the very near future we hope also in the magazine and the may issue is a story all about a couple of mgbs that did a feature for television in 1973 that involved an 8,000 foot plunge we shall say no more than that. But if you want to read that article, and indeed if you want to get your hands on your free copy of Safety Fast, it's a free magazine. It's an awesome magazine, and it's all free. Uh, it's free to members, of course. All you have to do is join the MG Car Club via the link at mgpodcast.uk. Click that link, follow the instructions, join the club, and the magazine will be winging its way to you. And from us, I think that's just about it for this week. So we'll see you very soon. Cheerio. Cheers, guys. Take care. Subscribe to receive new episodes of the MG Car Club podcast at mgpodcast.uk.